In times of turmoil, Fred Rogers' mom used to tell him to look for the helpers. The legendary children's entertainer shared the story many times through his TV career, most especially when the cruelty of real life felt like too much for his young and older audience to bear. Mark Charrington is one of those helpers, and you're going to meet him in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. We're looking for the helpers today. Uh, Those were the wise words of uh, one of the most legendary television personalities of all times, uh, beloved children's entertainer, Mr. Rogers, uh, once passed along, or or for that matter, many times passed along the story of his mom telling him that in times of trouble, in times of turmoil, in times of great adversity, just look for the helpers. And so that's what we're doing today. This is an episode of the show that we hope will fill your bucket, that'll remind you that there are people out there in this world walking among us every single day, doing everything they can to go above and beyond. It's a higher calling of sorts to help their fellow human beings. We're going to feature an advocate out of Edmonton. We're going to feature a group out of Calgary. And then we're going to put it over to you. Uh, I'm expecting that our live tuning audience, our live chat on YouTube today will be busy with people sharing their own stories of encouragement. Those that have seen a difference made in other people's lives by human beings who just, well, they just do better. They do more than what is expected. We felt like this was the right time to do a show like this because, to be honest, people's hearts are heavy right now. It feels like, you know, it's that time of year where it's already getting a little bit gloomier. The days are shorter. The darkness comes earlier in the day and lasts longer uh, in the mornings as well. And then, of course, there's everything happening all around us. Israel and Gaza, what's happening in other parts of the world as well. The conflict, the war in Ukraine, the the dynamic of today's political discourse. It's not exactly encouraging, is it? Well, today, we want to turn that tide. We want you, by the end of this episode, to feel as though you have been encouraged and inspired. Before I introduce you to Mark Charrington, I want to remind you that this episode of Real Talk is presented by the team at Verifiable Credentials at We Know Training. We've all heard by now that credential fraud is on the rise. Whether it's nurses, you've heard of oil patch workers experiencing this, personal support workers. There's been no shortage of headlines in the news when a fake credential put people's actual safety at risk. Well, luckily, there's an innovative technology that's making credentialing fraud a thing of the past. Digital verifiable credentials are secure, cloud-based credentials that go way beyond traditional certificates, digital badges, or PDFs. They're impossible to forge, falsify, or alter, and that's big. Verifiable credentials are tamper-proof and independently verifiable credentials that use open web standards. They're trusted, real-time digital credentials. They live in a digital wallet, so they can be viewed, managed, and shared from anywhere. And with We Know Training, they can plug seamlessly into your training courses. It's all streamlined. If you want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program, visit verifiablecredentials.ca. 
Well, I've known this fella for years, uh, and every single time I have a, a chance to connect with Mark Charrington, I, I find myself, uh, number one, inspired. Number two, reminded that there are good people doing great things out there. And number three, feeling like I'm just not doing enough and it's always an honor to bring this guy into the studio mark you know typically when we put somebody's font up on the screen for people watching on youtube it'll say an organization that they're with or the company they represent or the political party but 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 you're a human rights advocate that kind of operates uh on on your own you operate solo uh you fundraise in partnership with organizations to make donation processes streamlined but for the most part uh this is something that you do by yourself yeah who is Mark Charrington? Uh, I'm a uh, father of three boys, one that's 32, 28, and one that's 13. And um, I'm happily married, but that's my one side of my life. Uh, the other side of my life is involved in um, helping people. And, you know, you can quantify it in any way you want, but the bottom line is that I'm here for anybody. Um, whether it be a mother that called me from youth court yesterday because her child uh, keeps running away and children's services is inert uh, and does nothing, um, and she's frustrated, and she writ- wrote the, the minister, and the minister, you know, says, yeah, I'm, I'm with child welfare on this. So there's lots of frustration with government. There's lots of frustration with lacks of resources. Uh, a lot of my work involves act, helping people get access to basic needs. Like, um, again, yesterday I have a mom, and it's on my Twitter line, with two children. Uh, she doesn't have winter clothes for her children, so the school sent them back. And then the mean old stepfather kicked the, the children and the mom out onto the streets. And these kids had no clothing. And then when she called emergency social services... We we're supposed to be our safety net. They said, well, your children aren't on your file, so we are, we're not helping you. We don't believe you. And that's just, it's so frustrating and it's so depressing to see our government so inactive and so apathetic. And, uh, you know, there's two messages. You get the PR people in, in, in government that just go, oh, we've, we created three, 35 beds. We've thrown through $200 million into the system. You know, uh, we're working collaboratively with these organizations, blah, 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 blah. It's cold pablum. It's meaningless. Those resources are not out there. And that leads to a situation where me and other people like... Um, uh, Wallace Kendall, uh, Human, and a couple other organizations, at least in Edmonton, that are scrambling and trying to help people. And I'm a low-barrier kind of service. People call me and say, I have an issue, and I'm there to help. So you're, you're, you're like, your phone number is, is publicly listed. Yeah. Your Twitter account is an open book, and we'll yeah. get into some <clears throat> of your posts to give people an idea. But but. Like you're you are readily available for yes. anybody at any time. Like you, it's it's not unusual for you to get a phone call at three in the morning no. or six in the morning no. or eleven at night. No, no, it's just it 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 just goes on, and it's a reflection of um, just the again lack of services that we have in this community. In is this that province. new? Like is yes, is, is it that, is new. Okay, it's 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 been a steady decline since I would say about two thousand and eight. Uh, there's been a steady decline in action and resources, and you you especially see it. People especially see it in housing. 
uh, we used to have a very robust health housing system. We had, um, you know, it was the capital housing in, in those days. Now it's called Civit or something. And uh, we had lots of housing. We had lots of options. Um, but government, municipal, especially provincial and federal, have ignored housing. And when you don't have housing, you have all this crap. You have all this junk on the streets. You have, and, and it's not making the streets not safe. It's making people live in tent cities, uh, just like they were on the mountaintops in Brazil, you know, those shanty towns that go endlessly over hills. It's, it's that kind of situation that we're in, that we have the haves and the haves nots. And it's disgusting, really. So housing's a huge one, and we've talked about it a lot on the show. We had a housing roundtable just a short yeah. time ago, and, and people talk, and, you know, this is kind of what politicians do is, is they pass the buck, right? The municipalities are looking to the province, and the province is looking to the feds, and the feds are looking to municipalities, and then people want to know how developers factor into this, and there's a yeah, lot of factors, yes. depending on who you talk to yes. and the angle that they take. We may have completely different conversations, but housing's a big one, and you only have to look at what the official opposition's honing in on. Pierre Polyev understands the power that a conversation around housing will yes. have. He's talking big time about affordability. Yes. So that's one thing. What about some of the other factors? Uh, how, how is the opioid crisis factoring oh, into what you're doing right it's, now? It's it's terrible. It's, it's um, you know, starting again, early 2000s, it was all crystal meth. Uh, in the 90s, it was all crack. Um, and since about, again, 2010, 2012, it's been all opioids. It was, um, you know, Percocets and uh, Oxycontin, and then it morphed into fentanyl, and then it, and synthetic fent, then into sen- synthetic fentanyl, and it just went spiraling out of there. And, um, you know, um, I've, I have a book and I, and I have a list. It's a book of lists. And it started in 1994, 95, I started it. And it's uh, kids, just kids, um, a youth, you know, up to 24 that I've worked with that have died. And um, I'm at about 380, 395 now kids. What? Since 1994. And, um, you know, six of them are natural causes, a car accident, um, cardiac arrest, but about 370 of them is homicides, suicides, overdoses. Now, when it got into the mid 2000s, 2012, 2015, it's the list is mostly now just overdoses. It's just all overdoses. It's all fentanyl, um, and um, it's 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 a real tragedy right now, and you don't understand it. Uh, until it affects you, but I'm I, I'm fair to say that I think that every one of your listeners and viewers right now know somebody who overdosed and died, and you didn't have that in the back in in in, in before, I'd say the early two thousands. You know, you take your uh, your work. I was going to call it your job. 
I mean, I guess in a way it's your job, but it's not really. No, I don't get paid for it. I was going to say every single dollar. And, you're, and, and, and again, and I'll let our, our audience, the live tuning audience, we'll, we'll put a, a link shortly in the chat where you can make a donation to Mark's work. Um, and, and that's organized through or coordinated through the Coalition for Justice and Human Rights. Those are tax deductible donations, aren't yes, they? Yes, we're federally registered. It's tax deductible. So a lot of people um, could make a corporate donation. Yeah, this, I this would love that. But I, you're not, like if somebody donates $10,000, you're not taking 6500 for, no, for administrative no, no, expenses. No, no, no. I want to be clear about this. Administrative expenses, like, uh, you know, uh, I call it rent money for my home is about, you know, five or $600 a month. Yeah. And the rest just, I have no advertising, no marketing. Um, the, the coalition, uh, the people that administer all this, um, like Canada Helps and that, they, they, it ends up taking about, you know, 8% off of everything. Yeah. But the vast majority is just going to boots and winter clothing and food and baby formula and pregnancy sticks and diapers and work boots so somebody gets a job and things like that. And um, It's all kinds of things. Yeah. Like you, oh, might, you, you, just, you might you be working list, with yeah. uh, a, a young person that, that's facing serious charges and then yeah. you might that afternoon go yeah. s help a young mom yeah. who needs formula and then that evening you might help somebody get work boots so they can go to a, get a work job. opportunity yeah, the next day. Yeah, get a job, yeah. Yeah. You know, somebody just got out of jail and they've, you know, they've, they're, they're going to be a cribber, so they've. But they need safety boots, and they need work gloves, and they need a winter jacket, and they, and you, you know, those things are expensive, and um, you know, again, with faults in the systems, we don't prepare or provide those really startup items to get people onto the job sites, um, you know. So when you talk about this list of nearly 400 young people that you've helped, that you've worked with, that have passed. Yeah. Uh, do you remember every single person on that list? No, no. I remember, I'm terrible with names, but I'm great with faces. And, but yeah, I, I know, like, I was intimate with all those kids and all those youth in some way. I helped them, like, for weeks or months. Um, but, you know, I've, this is my 33rd year. And some of them, you know, uh, the faces just become blurry and all the same. But when you look at that list, it's like a... Oh, yeah. And I, I don't want to... There's a, lo there's a lot gonna, that I know. Like, I don't want to, like, put it the wrong yeah, way. No, and, and But I, it's like a list yeah. of people who kind of fell through yeah. the cracks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Isn't and, it? Yeah. And there's, you know, I, I can talk about a couple people that are... Um, so I can talk about one person that was for the public record that we got permission in the 90s to talk about in 1998, and we did a big article with the Edmonton Journal at the time. Her name was Tanya Joff Jeffries, and uh, she was a girl that was charged with procuring. She was 16, and she had um, um, been in and out of jail and was homeless and... Um, child welfare was really not wanting to help her, even though she was a permanent guardian award of the government. So the judge at the time says, and this was before the Youth Criminal Justice Act under the Young Offenders Act when it was hard to release kids. The judge says, you know, there's no way I'm going to release this kid. And, and for some reason, I had been working with Tanya, and I knew that she was really trying, and I stood up in court, and I said, Your Honor, how about this? And, you know, I had a bit of a reputation by then. I said, um, while she's waiting for her uh, 
trial because I was understanding was going to a guilty plea. Uh, she'll make face-to-face contact with me every day. And the judge said, sold. I'll release you on those conditions that you have to see Mark Charrington every single day face-to-face. And um, about one week into it, we were seeing each other. She was at a program called Safe House run by Catholic Social Services, an amazing program for children that are sexually exploited. And um, after about a week of seeing her face-to-face, I get a call from the lawyer and saying, yeah, we were... We're, we're setting it down for trial now. We're not uh, pleading out. So trial's set in uh, 14 months. And my face dropped. That I had to see this young person face-to-face every day for 14 months. Yeah. And um, her face dropped. And, um, and that included over birthdays, my children's birthdays, over Christmas. So every day I was coming to see her and checking in with her. And sometimes it was like... a you know, three or four hours. And sometimes it was just a few minutes. And I remember I was kind of cheating. I would show up at 11.55 at night and stay 10 minutes. And I would count that as two days <laughs> you know, past midnight. So every day. I, was I don't think her. anyone can blame you there, Mark. Yeah. But after, you know, and then you get very emotionally connected to this kid. Of course you do. And you, you worry about her. And then I was getting angry at her because she wasn't, you know, what do you mean you miss school? You know, this is terrible. Like I was becoming. A parent figure. Yep. Yeah, parental and um she was becoming very um you know we were um, dependent on me and but we were getting sick of each other because under this thing of you know but but anyways after we we did it for some reason we did it and we fought it was the north side boys in those days that was the gang up in north clairview that were trying to uh, that were pimping her out and um, we fought them off and everything. And uh, it what comes do you mean to, by that? Well, they would try to take her. They would try to kidnap her. Human trafficking yeah, is what yeah, we're talking yeah. about. And, Sexual exploitation. Yeah, and this was before cell phones. Yeah. So you'd get a phone call. I'd get a landline call. I always kept my landline next to my phone. I'd get a phone call from a payphone. I'm at this corner. I just, you know, they beat me up. Can you come get me? I went and get her, brought her back to safe house. Amazingly, they'd always take her back, you know, and through day and through the muck, walking up into trap houses and, you know, kicking over passed out people. You'd take her out of those things. So this whole emotional thing took place. And then we went to trial and she she pled out to some simple thing, possession or something, and she was time served. And that was it. And it was June 13th, 1998. And well, hallelujah, high five, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm taking a break from you, Tanya. <laughs> I'm taking a break from you, Mark. Catch you later, you know. And uh, I went and I had a big party with all my friends. And I just got, oh, my God, we had a foosball tournament. And she went and she had a big party. Um, my party it turned out OK. Her party didn't. And I got a call the next morning. Um, and um, it was safe house, and they had just got a call from the police, and Tanya was dead. She had overdosed on opioids, and um, I was in shock, and um, I couldn't take it. I I burned out. I wouldn't go to work for two weeks. Didn't answer the phone. My boss at the time, the youth criminal defense office, was very supportive. Um, and at the funeral, I, it was very heartbreaking. Um, and I spoke at her funeral. 
And I remember the last battle I had with Tanya was fighting with child welfare to pay for her coffin. They were only going to pay for half her coffin. They thought the family could pay for the other half, and the family had nothing. And I fought children's services to pay for her effing coffin. You can swear if you want, by the way, if it yeah. makes you feel better. And, and, and so we got the coffin. That was the last battle I had in helping Tanya Jeffries was, was that coffin. And after that funeral, I said, I'm never going to another funeral again. Mm. And I didn't. And I could have gone to hundreds. And, uh, you know, and I explained I just can't handle funerals. And, um, you know, um, it's, it really strengthened me when I came back to work. It really resolved me. Um, but it made me understand of just the dynamics in this world. But it also made me very spiritual. But, yeah. That particular, Tanya, in, in your life made you spiritual. Yeah. That there was something about her. Yeah. Uh, more so than any of the other young people that you've helped. Yeah. I, I remember I was, was at home during those two weeks and I was watching Cosmos or something. I, was, <laughs> I forget the guy's name. And how space is internal and universe is infinite and every possible, you know, that, that, that it's so complex and so overwhelming and we're just so little in this universe that I said you know that there is a God I and I know lots of people and I respect that and I don't know if that God is Christian or Muslim or uh, Mother Earth or but I think you know it's it's in your heart you don't have to go to church you don't have to go to a temple you don't have to go to a mosque but as long it's in your heart. That's my church. That's my temple. That's my mosque. And I go into my heart and I visit it once a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm very spiritual now. Um, you know, Sundays I, I pick a church. Some, I go to one or another church. I don't, and I just go to a church and sit and. Really? Different yeah. ones all the time? Yeah, yeah, I like the Pentecostal one on uh, 105th Street. Because uh, Pentecostals really always have the most fun. Is well, that they, why you get no, to they have jump a, and dance and whoop and holler? They have a. They have a great um, chorus, chorus there. It's really great. So, any, and a great organ. But, anyways, I'm going off topic. But, yeah, so those sorts of stories. Um, and, um, you know. I've got to ask you about y- your wellness. And, and because I can see the sadness on your face, I can see it in your eyes. I can tell it's difficult for you to talk about it. I want to ask you about your wife and your 13 year old as well and, and how they feel about your work. Because, you know, hubby or dad is getting called out all the time and, and helping other people. We're talking to Mark Charrington. If you're listening to this or watching this later, in other words, not live, uh, if you go to the show notes, you'll find a link where you can contribute to Mark's work. It'll be a tax-deductible donation. And, and obviously, um, these are contributions that'll go a long way in making an enormous difference in people's lives. I want to tell you about something else that I'm uh, proud to support, and this is coming up this weekend, coming up on October 28th. That's Saturday at Festival Place in Sherwood Park. Uh, I, I love when I get a chance to go up on stage and introduce bands. Uh, introducing bands is always great, especially in a sold-out room. And that's why we want to make sure that Festival Place, a stunningly beautiful venue in Sherwood Park, is 
sold out coming up on Saturday night for Barney Bentall and the Caribou Express. It's a fundraising concert, a fundraising concert for CASA Mental Health. That's kids and uh, young people's mental health supports. They're helping about 8,000 young people in the province of Alberta this year. You can go to casamentalhealth.org to get your tickets Saturday night to Barney Bentall and the Caribou Express. It's a fundraising concert, and I would love to see Real Talkers well represented there. Uh, it would be absolutely fantastic to make sure that we're sold out. I know that they, I got in touch with them just this morning. They said that there's a few tickets left, so we'll see. I want to see you there, Real Talkers. Let's pack the house again in support of CASA Mental Health. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy want you to know that as the winter months are upon us, that's when their team really gets going on planning, drafting designs for installs coming up in the spring. But as long as their team's not up on rooftops, they can do installs through the winter as well, in particular on farms. And that's when they get a lot of their work done in the ag field. Uh, if you're right now operating a farm, you're going, well, how could solar, how could renewables benefit me? Uh, you can give them a shout at one 899 kuby That's K-U-B-Y or go to kubyenergy.ca. There's like a million ways that solar can help your farm. You want just like one example, just one example, and this isn't even the biggest one. Their CEO, Jake Kubiski, told me once, he said for people that have cattle, that have horses, that need to have water out, you know, like the water troughs in the middle of winter, he says they can rig up heaters that keep the water in liquid form out in the middle of the pasture when it's minus 30 powered by solar how cool is that that's like one example out of a thousand you can learn more at kubienergy.ca always love welcoming friends like mark into this studio everybody that walks in here goes wow and that's when we're able to say hey this is the handiwork of the team at complete care restoration yeah they help people get back on their feet after fire after flood they help people deal with things like mold and asbestos but they're also experienced in construction and renovation projects whether you're redoing your basement or converting a condo into office space or vice versa maybe a three-story walk-up office building that you think could help with the housing crunch. You see opportunity there, but you need a builder, a developer that you can trust is going to do a great job. We give two thumbs up to Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. And right before we get back to Mark, I wanted to remind you that our friends at Friesen Brothers have a couple of things coming up that are worth mentioning. Circle November 1st on your calendar. That's the next 15% off day at Friesen Brothers. Any grocery purchase, $75 or more at all 16 locations across Alberta. 15% off on the first of every month. That's a big deal. Plus, they have seniors discounts. You can check out their website, Friesen.com, for more on that or ask in-store. And don't forget, families. They've got the Family Essentials Flyer. If you're trying to stretch dollars further than ever before, check out their Family Essentials Flyer online. You can check out not just weekly specials on groceries, but also fabulous recipes that allow you to make sure that good, healthy food is hitting that table every night at dinner time. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Hanging out with Mark Charrington, uh, a human rights advocate uh, operating out of Edmonton. And, and our plan today, uh, I want to let you know, Mark, and this, this is kind of... Uh, just the way that things go. Uh, Jennifer Rapuano uh, Kremenyuk was going to be joining us and maybe still will be. She's the founder. She's a former army medic. Are you familiar with her story? 
she's the uh, she's the founder of Harvest Hills Cares Calgary, which is a group that's that's really been catching my attention for their work, their advocacy, uh, Canadian nonprofit helping Calgarians in need. Uh, and she's going to be the second part of this episode as we talk to the helpers uh, she's just sent us a message she says we've just had an emergency come up one of our clients who's uh, homeless and pregnant has just gone into labor uh, she says i'm not sure i'm going to be able to join you for the show but but we'll see if she's yeah. able to, to zoom in from the hospital we'll see and if not that's totally understandable but this is proof yeah. that, that that folks in your line of work the folks that respond to your calling are always on call yeah it's just um you know you're dealing with a population that um, again doesn't have access to basic needs or the supports that to remain healthy and so they're much more susceptible to crises they're much more susceptible to uh you know illnesses disease um uh, things like um amputations amputations i know that the uh, uh the, the, the bear the bear clan uh, agency in edmonton did a study with the cbc about the number of amputations of homeless people uh, who have you know diabetes or whatever and it's much more uh, severe than what should be so yeah those sorts of uh, medical emergencies are quite frequent uh, Sunday I was in the hospital all day with uh, an indigenous woman who um, had kidney issues renal issues and um, you know it wasn't a pleasant experience and luckily everything worked out fine they gave her some tests and that and I took her home but it just happens and you just have to be prepared for it. And things like, oh, Mark, I forget, I forgot I have court today. I have no way to get there. If I get a, I'll get a warrant, I'll end up in jail again. So those things pop up. Um, you know, I just got a 24 hour eviction notice. Um, some of my clients know I have a truck. I try to hide that fact now. So you're not helping people move? I, I, have a, I have a full knee replacement. And I have arthritis in my left knee, and it's always walk-ups. And it's always on the fourth floor. Yeah. And you could say, oh, so you'll just throw everything in boxes and bags, and it'll be okay? Yeah, yeah. And you get there, and it just looks like uh, it looks like your yeah. 15-year-old daughter's room. <laughs> it's just, and nothing's packed, and mattresses, and you've got a 24-hour eviction. So, yeah, you know, it's those kind of things that just, oh. Um, I, I can't, I can't do the moving anymore. I, I can try. So you've had to, you've had to learn to draw lines and say no. Yeah. Just because of my physical age. Um, but again, you, I know we, just before we went to the, the break there, we were talking about my family and my family's always been very supportive. My parents, uh, my dad was a school principal and in small towns in Alberta and he was very, he was very sympathetic and very progressive, um, and he taught me a lot, um, and we had foster children. Uh, that where it was where I really kind of learned to um, understand that there's two worlds, and I'm two just worlds. part in one. And yeah. that's where, I, as a as a nine year old, I started to understand what white privilege is. <laughs> like have start un, not understand, but have an awareness that my life and my word was seemed to be more valuable than some of the kids I was at school with or some of the kids that were staying with us that were foster kids. Huh. And just as a nine and 10 year old, that's where you got that awareness. And um, so my family and my wife has always been very supportive. Um, 
and my 13-year-old, he's been in the back seat with me on many occasions. He when, must have a... I mean, people talk about old souls. Yeah. Uh, and I, whether you're born with that or develop that ability to, to process things differently, to understand people differently, to invoke empathy earlier in yeah. life, whatever old soul means. Yeah. Is that your 13-year-old that's probably seen? Like, do, do, do you fear that your 13-year-old has seen too much at a no, young age? No, 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 no. Um, I mean, again, this is, this is just me. I'm not saying this is anybody else. But up until about 100 years ago, kids saw things. You're just the way of life. Uh, the mortality rate was a lot more, um, there was a lot more uh, violence, in, in, in our world. I'm thinking about kids in Gaza and yeah, Israel right yeah, now. Yeah, and look at kids in Gaza. They're seeing everything so, so, they so, see. So my son sees issues and incidences and meets people, and I haven't had an incident where his safety was at risk. I haven't taken him into a crack house or anything like that. Uh, he's come to group homes with me. He sat in the back of the car when I've taken some homeless kids uh, or people that to the hospital that were... Uh, ODing and things like that, but but never anything that was. Um, so he, he he has a good understanding, and I'm uh, going to ask him and you uh, down the line for for permission to interview the two of you in like ten years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to see what adult, yeah. what kind of adult he turns out to be. Yeah. Do you yeah. ever fear for your safety? Like you, you talk about these gangs, and you kind of smirk. Uh, but it's serious business. Uh, we we see. I mean, a lot of the violent crime that we're seeing in in urban centers. Uh, right now across Canada, including in Edmonton, police will tell you is is gang on gang violence or gang related violence. Um, obviously, there's not a lot of uh, logic behind a lot of this. Uh, and I would imagine that anybody living that lifestyle that perceives a threat uh, to their financial well-being, stability or otherwise uh, would act quickly and viciously. Uh, you must have found yourself in some sketchy situations. Yeah, uh, again, in the early 2000s, I did a lot of things that um, I was physically able to be in, uh, but was ended up uh, not turning out really uh, well. Like, I got a little scar here, had a little nick from a yep. knife once. Um, okay, stabbed in the head? Not stabbed, just a nick, a flick. Oh, just a nick. A flick, yeah. yeah. Merely a flesh wound. Uh, yeah, um, a few stitches. Um and just some situations where I wasn't very comfortable. I I don't know if people remember in the late 90s, there was that huge, where they built that huge drug court underneath the courthouse. They did that big sting where they caught 100 drug members, uh, gang members, and they were going to have this big, huge trial. And it just fell apart because it was so monstrous. And just, it was in the late 90s. And anyways, a lot of the people that were involved in that situation and in custody were released on house arrest and could only go out with for groceries or visits or something with Mark Charrington. So I was hanging around with some pretty significant players in, in, in the gangs, um, Edmonton gang scenes in the late nineties. Um, and I learned a lot. Um, but you know, I work with a lot of people in custody and I'm not seen as a, th I'm not authoritative. I'm not part of the system or the government. I'm not here. And I tell everybody, I'm not here to use the word should. I learned that with Tanya Jeffries. I'm not here. I never say the word should. Um, you know, you have parents or you have probation officers, you have uh, police, you have officers, you have courts, you have lawyers. You, all these people are should. You should, 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 should. Why do you need me to use the word should? So I don't use that word. And people just see me as um, 
like a little Switzerland, <laughs> you know, um, somebody to, I'm, I'm not going to rat anybody out. I'm not going to um, enable a system or call a system upon you. Um, I'm not going to <clears throat> take you somewhere where you don't want to go. If you want to say you're going to treatment and you get out of the parking lot of the remand center and saying, that's it, stop, pull over, I'm done, I'll stop, pull over, and you're done. And um, and I'm not the eyes and the ears of the police. You know, they have a $700 million budget. I'm not the eyes and ears of child welfare uh, in most cases because uh, they, again, have a budget of $400, $500 million. Um, I'm Mark. I have a budget of $300, $400, $500 a month. <laughs> you know, that's... that's um, so people aren't threatened by me. Um, the doors are always unlocked. Um, and they can fire me any moment they want. They don't have to resort to violence. And, you know, I'm not going to pick up someone that's really intoxicated on crystal meth and or alcohol. To me, those are really live situations. Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot of psychosis involved with crystal meth, and I think that's a real big problem. People may say it's opioids, and that's very deadly, but crystal meth... When you're looking at violence, at least in my opinion, yeah. when you're looking at violence, uh, just random violence, stabbings and things, and you know, uh, to me that's indicative of crystal meth. I've gone on down YouTube rabbit holes of of you know typically like police body cam footage, or there's footage of of, of you know uh, cameras like live cameras inside vehicles, dash cams that have been stolen by people on crystal meth, yeah. and it's just it's I mean it's just uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know to to understand even what first responders are dealing with, what people like you um, are dealing with, is there there's, is there like a, a solution to the drug crisis? I mean, human beings have been self medicating yeah. for as long as we've understood how we can do it. Well, I, I think it's, and, and I worked in mental health court for two or three years where we get all these people that uh, were in psychosis because of crystal meth. And, and I think that um, the solution, again, is housing is a big important part because people are exposed to trauma and drugs at levels that you just can't imagine when they're homeless. And if they have a house and they have a bathroom those seem to be the two important things of house and a like a room and a bathroom we're 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 putting in a lot of protective factors in their lives um but i think we we we've we've gotten to a situation where we need a police surge right now uh not to arrest and force but keep the peace um and we need agencies to be well-funded and resources to be there. The one thing I'm not a popular a fan of, uh, Ryan, it's just my opinion again, are partnerships with police. Uh, except for the intensive offender management teams where they're, where you have a like John Howard Society and, and the police working with high-risk offenders. Yeah. But these help teams, these police around every social work table, I don't think it's, first of all, it's, it's, they're wearing uniforms, they've got Glocks, they can legally kill people. These are what, and what, what do they, pro, what do they provide to the, to the, to the solution? When you're going to talk to people on the streets and try to get them housing or try to offer them care, it should be a, a, a nurse and a social worker or uh, a housing worker and, a, and, and an outreach worker. What does a police officer offer 
in that situation where you're just randomly going up to people. And then there's this cross-sharing of information I'm very worried about. So I'm just not a fan of that situation. I don't think that's very helpful, in my opinion. Uh, in your experience, in your experienced opinion, uh, Daniel in our live chat says, my son works with the Bear Clan using his kitchen to provide yes. Christmas meals. Every bit helps, yes. Daniel. That's amazing. Um, you know, others are, are talking. I mean, Galaxy Hunter says every death is our failure. Homelessness is our failure. Every health, uh, every death by overdose is our failure. Um, I mean, just, you know, uh, Sylvia says Mark's sure done a lot of good work. I'm sure it does take a toll on him and his family. Um, others talking about your comments on spirituality and how that applies to them personally. Kathy, I love this. Kathy says we don't have a lot of funds to help out with. You know, we can't help out a lot financially, but I have time and I contribute that way. Kathy, that's yeah. amazing. Um, you know, uh, MA says all my sharing is not de deprived me of anything. You know, I, I get upset when I hear people say I help those that help themselves. What kind of bullshit is that? <laughs> Wonders MA, which is a fair question as well. I sure appreciate all these comments. Uh, went on to say, by the way, she did. I was brought up to believe that helping those in need was my duty. And maybe that's why I went into nursing. Um, I always share what I have with those who have nothing. Noob says my partner is a social worker who's worked in many different fields of care. Um, and from what I understand, our systems have so many holes or gaps. It's like Swiss cheese. It's yeah. basically what yeah. you've been testifying to today. Yeah. And, and attitude, government attitude. Um, I mean, when I started in this field, when I started in this field, I was a student. You want to hear another war story? Sure. Okay. So I, mean, I think I, that the audience is, I, I know that I said that this is, uh, you know, this is the episode we're going to talk to the helpers and fill our cups and yeah. be encouraged. And this is actually yeah. some pretty heavy stuff yeah. you're sharing. And I just want to thank you for that, uh, for showing up and keeping it real today. Yeah, um, real I am going to ask you before we wrap to tell us a good news story. Okay, I will. But I'd I love will. to hear a war story. So I started in 1990. I was, a, I was uh, enduring my, between my first and second year at, at uh, college. I uh, got a part-time job. And it was at a child welfare group home, a small agency. And they told me, okay, you'll get lots of training and you've got lots of supports, you'll job shadow and, um, you know, just use your skill sets that you know and this is your part-time job as a summer student. And I arrive at work the first day and I get there and this guy's running around and he's a staff member and he comes, shows me the office and says, this is the logbook. You just draw, write everything you can in here that happens. Oh, well, here's, and this is 1990, so no cell phones or anything. Here's a fob key or a uh, key calling push button thing that you put around your neck. And if something happens, just press that and the, and the police will show up. And he says, there's, there's eight kids, and oh, by one of, the, one of them is suicidal. She's 13, and, she, and, she's, and in, it, this is 1990, and she's Indian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, she's suicidal Indian, but there's no, uh, we don't have a confined, secure placement for her, so she's just spending the night here. Just so I'm clear, are we talking about someone from East Asia? Or no, no, about, this is so, 1990. So okay. Yes, yeah, indigenous. Uh, but I just want to clarify. What yeah, we're... this was an old guy in 1990, and he said the word Indian. And right. I, you you kind of went, uh. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and so he left me with no training, no support with these eight kids that all had trauma and issues and were all in care, not out of choice, but because they were either a harm to themselves or others. And this, um, this girl um, was fine at the beginning, and I was making supper, 
and making dinner for them. And I made a lot of mistakes that night. And the first one was I left the knife drawer open because in group homes, you lock the knife drawer. Okay. And I'm making supper and that. And this girl, this indigenous 13-year-old girl, um, starts getting on, yelling on the phone with her mom. This is a landline, of course. And she's, she's screaming it. And all of a sudden she goes, I hate you, I hate you. And she rips the phone out of the wall with wires and all and tosses it, rips the phone out of the wall and, and throws it across the kitchen and looks at me and grabs this huge butcher knife and looks at me and says, I'm going to kill myself and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And this is my first shift. And I look at her and she runs and I don't know what to do. And so my instinctive is I chase her and I chase her and I run and I catch her out to the front yard and I swing my foot out and I knock her feet from under her, which was also dangerous because she could have fallen on the knife. Sure. So uh, she falls down and then she stands up and the knife's between, the knife is in between us on the grass and, and, and I say, I'm not letting you touch that. She goes, oh yeah. And I go, oh yeah. And all these other kids are circled around me and I'm pressing this stupid button. Okay. And all these... Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then she's, she's, so we're escalating things. And then she, she reaches, she lunges for the knife. And I do what I think is just the most natural thing I can because I'm the oldest son of four boys. And our house was pretty wild at times. And I close my fist and I just punch her and I drop her. And I pick up the knife and I throw it on the roof of the group home. And I remember I putting my eyes to my head and some kid going, oh man, you are so fired. And I thought, oh my God. And this girl, she starts standing up and she's wobbly and I'm pressing this button and there's no landline phone and the neighbors are got all the shutters closed. They, they don't want anything to do with it. And so I don't know what to do. And, and, and so, um, and I bust there. <laughs> so I said, uh, let's, let's go down to Seven Eleven and we'll get some Slurpees and we'll process this. And, oh, okay. And the, and the girl's like, and I'm helping her. Her included? Oh, her included. She's kind of getting up. And so I get the petty cash and I get about 15 bucks and we go to Seven Eleven. I get Slurpees and she's holding the Slurpee to her face. And we're walking back and things are kind of settling down. And in fact, the rest of the night was really quiet. And I write it all up. Morning shift comes. They say, what happens? I said, read it in the logbook. And oh, by the way, your, your stupid little call button doesn't work. <laughs> and there's no phone. <laughs> and, and I go home and I tell my wife at the time, I say, I'm so fired. I said, I punched a girl. I closed my fist and I punched a 13-year-old girl, a, an indigenous girl. And sure enough, I got a phone call from the board. And Mark, there's a serious incident and we need you to come over here to process this. And so I go to the headquarters, the agency headquarters, and I'm sitting at this board table, and there's this board member and this supervisor and this manager and the CEO, and says, well, before we come to any conclusions, we, of course, want your side of the story. So I'm explaining what happened in more of a professional tone. So at, uh, you know, 1850 hours, I was uh, walking with the clients, uh, cooking with the clients where, you know, a young person exploded in a violent rage and blah, blah, blah. And as I'm telling the story, they start looking at each other. And they, this one guy kind of scratches his head and they look and they're whispering in each other's ears. And then the one guy interrupts me and goes, Mark, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the $15 you took from petty cash. Oh, jeez. And that moment, Ryan, that moment, that was my epiphany. That was when I was fell off into the abyss. And I said, what the fuck? 
a middle a, a middle a middle class white man can close his fist and smash it into the, the face of a 13 year old indigenous girl and no one gives a shit no one and maybe i was right maybe i was wrong but it should have been investigated and someone should have followed up other than just some note in a, in a in a logbook and you know um i feel i feel very terrible of that that day and and i i'm never going to be that and i wasn't that i wasn't going to be that person i wasn't going to work in that system in that way and and i quit and then i worked in corrections and i got fired <laughs> then i worked at adac and i quit are you a bit of a do you have a you, you said earlier when when the courts had had uh, tasked you with uh meeting with tanya yeah, every day yeah. you you said you smirked when you said it to me you said I had a bit of a reputation by then. Yeah. Maybe not in the best way. Do you have a bit of a polarizing reputation in yeah. the field of social services? Oh yeah. I'm I'm I I am vilified. Are I you think. a bit of an outcast? Oh yeah. I mean, um I could never get a job with that I would never get I'm blacklisted. I would I mean I'm would never be able to hold a job or to get a job within the system there. Um uh, maybe part time evening because I'm pretty relaxed, um, but the you know a lot of child welfare workers hate me. A lot seem to like me. A lot hate me. What would you think would be the root of you? Hate's a strong word. Well, I'm very aggressive. I'm not. I'm not that person sitting meekly at the board table now, and I refuse to let anybody. Uh, you know, the, my the, the person I'm with, the homeless kid the person not getting services they are they are my meaning and those and it, they're always outgunned they're always outnumbered there's always five or six of these workers all on taxpayers dimes trying to wigwag their fingers at these kids of either why they can't help or they are going to help but it's going to be intrusive um and um so i'm i'm aggressive i'm respectful i'm a professional but i'll call them out and I'll say, you know, I'll say what you're doing is, is, is wrong. What you're doing is, is, is hateful. What you're doing is not in, in line with the act. And you should be ashamed of yourselves. You know, Mark, I don't have to. Pe people can find you on Twitter at Mark Charrington. Um, yeah. We'll link to that in the show yeah. notes. Um, but I don't have to scroll. I don't have to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll to find something to find an example of, of what you do. And, and this is a daily type occurrence of you to put. I'm just referencing something you posted yesterday. Uh, OK, so we're talking on October 25th. This is October 24th. You say, I'm just trying to get this uh, young single mom in Edmonton. Uh, who's who's really struggling i'm trying to help her you say she's just had her children returned to her uh i can share her cell number if you want to help you say her children were sent home from school due to a lack of appropriate clothing you show a, a screen capture of her text to you uh, where she says my daughter's uh you know size seven or eight boots uh you know i need my son he needs like men's small size six she says i haven't had income for a while it sucks living in these conditions uh, she says, I'm so grateful for you, Mark. Thank you. They got sent home today. You say, I'm working on it. Uh, you then update that post several hours later. You say an update. Mom was thrown onto the streets with her kids by the stepdad. Uh, so now, uh, not just boots, now the focus is finding them a safe place yeah. in this cold weather. That's one example, Mark. I, I, can, I can go yeah. to the day before. 
uh, where you let people know you're totally dependent on donations from community. It's tax deductible. You'd let them know you say you need to boost your donations by 1200 a month. I hope that this interview does that for you. Uh, you say you had a busy weekend. Much of your Sunday was at the Grey Nuns Emerge, the ER, with an elderly lady without any supports in the city. Uh, she has uh, kidney issues and she's afraid of hospitals. Uh, you comment a couple of days before about a man who showed serious signs of mental illness, went to police, uh, trying to be proactive. Uh, you talk about what a robust healthcare system would look like and how he did not experience that. The day before that, you talk about helping a 17 year old youth whose parents are deceased. You say she and her sister are in a motel room with no food, no supports. They've just fled sexual abuse from their cousins. She states child welfare would not help her. A few years ago, you would think something was amiss. You say, but given my experience with child and family services lately, I have no reason to doubt this child. Yeah. This is just the last three days. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I, I'm really having a... I, I, I try to update Twitter as best I can but some days you're just so busy. I understand. And then you're so burned out by the end of the day that you just close your laptop and just yeah. hope the phone doesn't How ring. important is, is Twitter to your fundraising? I mean, Alice, I see. Shout out to Alice who, who responded to you and said, can I just e-transfer 20 bucks so, so those girls can grab a bite of lunch? Yeah. No, it, it's, it's it, like I have no funding streams. With, I don't want government funding streams. I don't, I've seen agencies that are dependent on government. So uh, agencies are um, there to advocate and support clients, and they're f totally funded by government. And, you know, they can talk about shoe sizes or they can talk about pablum issues and bring that up with the government, but they can't criticize government and they can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the government in both government's inactions or wrong actions. And I know that if I had government funding, I'd become, I'd become addicted to it, dependent on it, and, they would, and they, would, they would pull out my eye teeth. They just want me to be a herbivore. Hmm. <laughs> but I'm a carnivore, sorry. <laughs> so, I, so my funding just comes straight from donations. I want to um, let people know, though, because, Mark, you know, people do, and, and I, I want to hit this head on. I always like, want to like, look in the camera and let people know that, that they can have confidence in making their donations. Just because the way the world works, I know you're not going to be offended by this. No, no. But the way that world, the world works, a lot of people will set up a GoFundMe, yeah. and then people kind of go, where did the money end up yeah. going, and yeah. where's the accountability yeah. and the transparency? Yeah. So you are partnered with, officially partnered with, through, through Canada Helps, the website, and Coalition for Justice and Human Rights. So yes. these, the tax receipts are issued. There's bookkeeping. Yes. There's accountability. Yes. There's financial transparency. Yes. I, have to, I have to request the money, and I have to explain why. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and show the... I just yeah. want people to know, like, yeah. if there's somebody yeah. out there right now yeah. that can make a $10,000 donation, <laughs> that they can... Uh, oh, look at the way your face just yeah. did. Like, what would a $10,000 donation uh, mean to that you? Would, uh, that would take a lot of worry out of my heart. Mm. And that would help a lot of people. Tell us the story. You don't have to use the real name of one person who would immediately get help. Tell us how you would help one person if you had a ten thousand dollar donation drop today. Uh, these two girls, the eighteen year old and seventeen year old, that uh, were abused by their cousins. Um, the seventeen year old, as a permanent resident, both her parents are dead, so she just has her and her sister, who's eighteen, and they have nothing, um, absolutely nothing. And uh, they had to do things for a bus ticket to get to Edmonton, to get away from their cousins. Without getting into too much yeah. detail, what do you mean by that? Sexual exploitation. Yeah. Um, yielding drugs if they're lucky. If they're lucky. Yeah, because, you know, 
Um, and they they made it. They got to Edmonton. But again, they're connected with the uh, Child and Youth Advocates Office now. So, but they have nothing. And so, ten thousand dollars like that would get them hygiene products, clothing. Today, I would get them hygiene products, clothing. Um, uh, I would provide them with a safe motel room so that they could uh, feel safe and not be on the streets. Uh, I could um, maybe even get them. Um, a damage deposit and first month's rent so that they could get a place to, to stay. So that, that, that's just instant outcomes. Those financial things are instant outcomes uh, and um, able to provide you know, tangible results with, with, with donations like that. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm always on the seat of my pants, right? You're always just kind of move it forward and, and, and make it another day. And, you know, um, I don't have a backup plan. Uh, you know, I've been doing this on this on my own uh, since legal aid got rid of me for five years now. And uh, it's worked out. It's worked out. But every day is a struggle. You got fired from legal aid? Oh, yeah. You want to talk about it? Well, they, they say I was uh, for, uh, for structural change, but I think it was just because of my social justice advocacy. I was writing letters to the ministers, the deputy ministers, the premier. And, of course, that's a lot of heat, and legal aid has become very constipated, in my personal opinion, <laughs> and very uh, risk-averse. Yeah. And um, Didn't the current premier just reach out to you? Yeah, yeah, no, it was involving a girl that was, again, this is child welfare, and child welfare owns this. This girl called me and said, I'm having a miscarriage. Uh, I have twins. Uh, I'm 14, and child welfare will not open a file. And I tweeted about it. And in about 10 minutes after I tweeted about, I got a call from Danielle Smith. Personally? Personally, and said, Mark, how can I help? And I said, oh, my God. I said, thank you. And I explained the situation. And then she says, leave it with me. Five minutes later, I got another call from the Minister of Children's Services at the time, Mickey Emery. Amazing. A guy I really like and really respect, Mickey Emery. And he had pulled over on the road. And he says, you know, he says, how can I help him? And he met me on two different occasions. And I told him, I said, you know, you're getting filtered information. When you go to the group home, they have three weeks notice and they clean everything up. And, you know, they don't have those seven kids running around and the knife drawer open and someone ripping the phone out of the wall. You get this filtered message and you get the nice kid that they pat on the head and say, here's little Johnny. And Johnny goes, yeah, I really like the system and it's really good. It made me really better and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you're getting all this filtered shit. That's not the way it is. And I said, here's my cell phone number. And I said, if you ever need a question about how um, the system really works, give me a call. And mm-hmm. he did. And I and other ministers in the past, Manmeet Buller, who was amazing minister of children's services. May he rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. He he did a ride along with me. And um, I remember he was I was on speakerphone with child welfare again with this girl that was uh, 18 and nine months pregnant working at Kids in the Hall and was homeless and she had a medical issues with her pregnancy and child welfare wouldn't said she could stay at the whole mission on a, on a mat on the floor and mm. Mamie heard this over the speaker speakerphone and I went yes and they said pardon me and I go yeah oh by the way I have the minister on the phone with me <laughs> bang and they, so you asked me why my relationship with child welfare is 
but you know, there's a lot of good, and I don't want to vilify them. They're, the vast majority of people there are really good people. It's the system. Oh, and sure, and I guarantee the there's there's it's, people that are working in child welfare that, oh, that, that could be equally as compelling oh, yeah. people that are and walking more. with their own trauma, that are burning the candle at both ends, that I know that this is not a personal attack on the workers. No, no, no. We're lucky to have the, people even showing up to do these I jobs. I get so many stacks of files on their desks. I work. I get a lot of calls from workers off hours or anonymous that's how i get a lot of my information too is when they have a case or an issue that they're frustrated so they're with. risking their job to reach out to you under the table and i know how to wiggle waggle and and uh, approach the kid and child welfare has no idea where it came, the information came how i became involved whatever happened with the 14 year old uh after the premier and the minister called you do you know yeah what, what the outcome yeah, of that story she, was she's in a group home okay i uh I didn't want to ask her about their situation. He asked me if I could get her a new phone, like another donated phone. I give, I, so if anybody's got donated phones, use Yeah, phones. old phones. I, oh, tablets, laptops for Chromebooks for kids that go to university, college. I've got lots of kids, youth that are in that. That's amazing. So she called me and asked me if I had a new, um, a new donated uh, used phone I could donate to her. And uh, I said, yeah. And I, but so, but yeah, she's in a group home. Uh, she's healthy. Uh, and, and, Life moves on, and so obviously Child Welfare opened a file. Um, but you know, there's lots of success stories too. I mean, you t- not- as we as we wrap, like yeah. uh, you and I could talk for five hours. Obviously, yeah. I just really like like my one of my goals today is to have people hear about you, know more about you, understand that there are people like you, the helpers yeah. that are out there. We look for the helpers yeah. in times of trouble and turmoil. Uh, people can find you on Twitter at Mark Charrington. Uh, we're we're going to put in the show notes. Uh, where people can donate to you. Uh, I'll just show it on the screen right now. This is through uh, CanadaHelps.org. You have the tweet pinned on your profile, but again, it'll be in the show notes for people that want to make a, a contribution. But I mean, we won't pretend like everything's well in the world and we no, won't pretend no. like all the problems are solved, but what's what's a great news story? Okay. What's a success yeah. story that yeah. just makes you so very proud it, of this It just person? really moved me. So <clears throat> I, in the beginning, um, mid to late 90s, I was working with a girl named Nicole. And Nicole was really entrenched in sexual exploitation, and um, she was not safe. Uh, she had some bad experiences. So I said, "Well, listen, you know, you, you're, and this is again before the internet and you know uh, Craig Pages and all that." And she was working on Ninety Fifth, and I said, "Listen, I go home that way." And we were just talking in youth court, and I say, "I go home that way," and you know, I, I, I see you often. Um, maybe you can give a signal to me that you're okay. And she thought that was a good idea. It was just a sort of, you know, self-made help, harm reduction kind of way to keep her safe where she's, you know, that she was comfortable with. And she says, oh, okay. So I said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to flick my lights? Do you want me to honk my horn? No, don't don't fucking look like a John Mark. That's the worst (laughs) thing you can do. Don't do that. And she goes, just come up. I know you're, and I had a beat ass car. And slow down, and I'll see you, and, and, uh, and I will give a sign. And I go, okay, what's the sign? And yeah. then she gives me this exaggerated wink. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? A, a wink, a, a big wink. And I said, okay. So I'd go home, and we, she left youth court, and I'd go home, and there she was. And she gave me the wink. And days after that, when I'm going home, I'd see her many, many times, and she's always the wink. Sometimes she wouldn't wink, and I'd just pull up a bit ahead, and she'd come running to the car and we'd take off and I'd drop her off safe. 
and she'd tell me the story. But so that was that was it. That was my relationship with her. You know, go drive, and I call her the winker. I got to go, and, and she'd wink. And um, then you know, as time went by, I saw her less and less and less and less and less and less, and then I stopped seeing her. And I moved on to the next case and everything else. And years go by, you know, um, 10 years, 12 years go by. And for one reason, I'm going home from the Youth Criminal Defense Office. I'm on the number eight bus. And it's a hot, humid, sweaty, rainy day. And it's a windy bus and it's packed. And I'm sitting somewhere in the back and, and through the armpits and breasts of people, I see Nicole get on the bus. And it's not the Nicole I used to see, you know. She's in this blue trench coat and she's got this leather business bag that's embroidered um, and she's on her cell phone and she's talking to her husband or her partner yeah. about the kids and soccer. She's wow. not going to be there on time. And, and I had nothing to do with making her make those right choices, right? I was, to me, I was just the guy that drove by and went. You said you don't say should. Yeah. And, 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 um, and I was going to stand up and go, Nicole, and go see her. But I realized at that moment, at that time when I was helping her or trying to help her, um, she was being sexually assaulted every day. She was being beaten. She was using drugs. She was, um, had health issues. And I was part of that nightmare in her life. And for many kids, I was part of that nightmare. Uh, but I was part of that nightmare. So I didn't want to be a trigger. I didn't want to do anything. So I just stopped myself from going to say hi. And I just kind of watched her for a bit and, you know, just amazed at how well she was, seemed to be doing. Like, every, she was just, every, just another middle-class person on the bus. Hey, Mark, maybe she'll hear this. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we get to the bus stop and, and people come on and off and I look and she's, she's not there. She'd gotten off the bus. And just as I, the bus closes, the door is about to pull off. I hear this tap, tap, tap on the oh. bus window. And I look and Nicole with her big diamond ring tapping on, and she looks at me for a minute and then she gives oh. me the wink and walks away. Like, Hey Mark, I'm okay. And that was, that's all that we needed. I, she was, that was, that was our relationship. And it was probably one of the movingest moments that I've had in my 33 years. Um, you know, and, uh, I get kids that are calling me. I've got kids uh, that I worked with, um, that are nurses now that are supervisors in child welfare. I've got a girl that stole my car at 13, uh, who's, uh, got her is, is, um, in a healthy relationship and engaged with a law enforcement official who's <laughs> got a master's in social work. I've got kids that, um, you know, have just moved on and, and uh, become such successes. And, uh, you know, they reach out to me. They say hi to me. And like I said, I'm not a name guy. So when I look at the names, but I'm a face guy. Yeah. And I know... I can always recognize them whenever they come up to me, and and uh, and uh, you know, it's there's 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 a lot of hope, and I'm about ten percent of the outcome. The kids and these youth and these families are ninety percent of the outcome. They do all the heavy lifting, and they're the ones that have to 
pitch up a tent at two in the morning on some icy sort of park because they have nowhere to live and they just want shelter. And a lot of them won't go to Hope Mission because it's too religious. It's too wacky there. Uh, it's too faith-based uh, and they want nothing to do with it. Um, and sometimes some of them don't feel safe uh, in that area. So, um, you know, but families, but the people are doing all the lifting. I'm there to help facilitate those things, uh, you know, whether it be the 24-hour eviction or the uh, I've OD'd, Mark, can you get me to the hospital kind of guy. But I've got uh, these tears that are just like hovering and they're refusing no, no, to no, fall. No. It's the Nicole story, man. I've yeah. never heard a story like that. Yeah. That's that's incredible. And, and um, like everybody, like Kathy's wondering who's cutting onions in her office. Tracy says she's bawling. Cadmus is crying. Cadmus oh. uh, Rex, by the way, says I've worked in this realm and it's very demanding work and burnout is so high end. Good on him for persisting. How about this handle? The motherfunkers. I love that. The <laughs> motherfunker says this is my first time tuning in live and I didn't expect to cry. Uh, ben is just tuning in and says, looks like I've missed a very good episode of Real Talk. How about this, Mark? I want you to hear this from Justin, who says, this is the best episode of Real Talk that's ever been produced. Uh, Mark is a beautiful person, and it hurts my heart knowing about these struggles. Thank you for bringing him on the show, and hopefully he can get his funding. Um, uh, I want to let you know, so we have Real Talk patrons, right? These are yeah, people that yeah. support us every month on Patreon. So I want to yeah. let you know on behalf of our Real Talk patrons, yeah. uh, we're going to make a $1,000 donation well, well, to your work. And, <laughs> well, and you, that's Ryan. that's not us, Mark. Yeah. Those, are, those are Real Talkers yeah. that make a monthly commitment yeah. uh, to allow this show to do the work that we do, to walk the walk after we've heard the talk. And so that, uh, to our Real Talk patrons, I want to thank you because those are your donations. That's going to be a $1,000 donation. We're going to make that today uh, via the link. And, th and a shout-out to Sylvia who pointed out that when you do click the link and you wind up at CanadaHelps.org, there is a drop-down menu. Yeah. And I want to make sure that uh, that you make sure, and yeah. uh, I'll just show it on my screen right here because the drop-down menu needs to go to Mark Charrington and the Coalition for Justice and Human Rights Sustainability Fund. So yeah. make sure that you commit uh, your donation so it goes directly to Mark's work. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, they're all great causes. <laughs> oh, of course, if, you don't if, have if to you, start. If you, if you misclick, it's... it's Blowing it's, sunshine. You, you, uh, but we want to make sure that you have the resources that you need. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of those 17 and 18-year-old sisters without parents. I mean, like, yeah. just being 17 on your own without parents is yeah. a thing. Yeah. Just being a sexual abuse survivor is a big challenge yeah. a huge challenge the trauma associated with that etc 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 poverty housing everything else that they're experiencing right yeah never mind having it all as sort of a perfect storm that's yeah. just one story mark yeah yeah you and know the elderly lady that's afraid yeah. of hospitals that you're yeah. helping yeah. The, the, i think of the, the the mom there that needs boots for her kids warm boots because they got sent home from school yeah. and how a mother or a father would feel when their kids were sent home Right? Yeah. The, well, the stigma associated with yes. it. Yes. And, and just, you know, it's... Um, and I, I'm here to help, and my number's on my Twitter. My cell phone number's on my Twitter. Just say it right now. 780-850-6254. So yeah. That's not my work number. This that's is like just, the first time in my career that someone's given out their cell phone on the show. That's just my number. Mark's um, cell is... I'm punching it in the chat. 780-850-6254. And people can just send you texts, right? Yeah, and I'm here to help. And if a family's in crisis, I'd rather deal with it before it becomes an issue, if that makes sense. It's, it's a situation where um, there might be 
hardship or assist or they've called a, a system such as income support, Alberta Works, uh, WCB, and the systems aren't reacting the way they are, then I'm an advocate. Um, sometimes I'm an advocate for foster parents and the kids. Sometimes I'm an advocate for, um, you know, the elderly who um, are in conflict with the public trustee because they won't get public trustee won't give their money to them you know there's all sorts of issues and and we the, should do a whole show on what elderly folks on fixed incomes are doing right now as electricity prices are out of control grocery prices are out of control there's going to be a lot of people i mean i i know you don't see this as competition i know you won't no, mind no, me no, no. referencing harvest hills cares calgary of course, no, no, they're know, amazing. They, they're, they were going to be part of this episode oh, yeah, they're, they're 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 walking the walk right they are now. walking the walk Big time, I'm man. talking here, and, and people can check out. So if you're if you're um, you know about a, you know more than a quarter of our audience, about a third of our audience total uh, is in southern Alberta, including Calgary, uh, which we're always very proud of. And so if you're listening from Calgary or surrounding area, you can go to HarvestHillsCares.ca and, and help them out with a donation. I was reading uh, on their Twitter, uh, and, and people can check out their Twitter feed as well. Like they're doing a lot of work as as a nonprofit helping Calgarians in need. Mark, just yesterday they said, look at what we. This is something they tweeted just. Five hours ago so like they're tweeting at like four in the morning uh there's no rest for people like you is there mark but they're tweeting they said we paid a utility bill for somebody we shopped for hampers we we, we paid two phone bills for people they said we were able to help two seniors two families one dad two single clients they think they say thanks to everybody who's helping us just filling carts with groceries they found a deal they were able to buy i think it was 50 uh, space heaters that they're going to be providing to, in particular, check this out. They say that uh, this, uh, they got an awesome deal. Oh, pardon me, 20 portable ceramic heaters they're going to give out to seniors that desperately need them. Like little things like space heaters. Why don't we do this? Why don't we break that thousand? Give me 500 and give them 500. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. It's, it's, there, there, there are lots of amazing organizations and people, and I'm not here to, Let's do that. I'll tell you what we'll do. Yeah. We'll do 500 here. We'll do 500 for them. Yeah. And then I know this audience for people that can, there's no pressure, but for some of you, like 10 grand is like a rounding. You're not going to notice 10. Like, you know what? I'm, I'm not trying to be tacky, but for some of some of the friends of this show, that's, that's it. Yeah. And those are people with big hearts too. Whatever you can do. 20 bucks is awesome. 10 bucks is awesome. Yeah. yeah. 10,000 bucks is yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I have faith. That monthly, monthly subscriptions are really good. So three bucks a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, because okay. uh, if you donate three bucks a month, I can get a book of bus tickets at the end of the year for somebody. Um, you know, uh, 10 bucks a month is, um, 120 bucks, which is a, a good chunk of a utility bill, um, or some phone minutes for, for, for a youth that's sexually exploited on the streets. Um, so monthly subscriptions are really good. And, um, and th that's what I'm trying to get really up to 1200 up a month is the monthly subscriptions. Okay. Cause then you can. You know, I'm giving a senior couple. You need to be able to count on consistent support is what you're saying, right? Yeah. You need to be able to know month to month you can budget, you, know, yeah. you can allocate yeah. investments like, in human beings. Right now I'm giving this elderly couple, they're in their early 90s uh, um, or late 80s, uh, 200 bucks a month for food. What would they do without it? They would, they would, they're, they're very stressed out. They have their house paid. Uh, they were involved in an accident. Um and um, they're just not making it. 
and they called me in tears. And so at the end of the month, I give uh, 200 bucks out a month to John, no questions asked. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's putting food on his table and, uh, cause he doesn't have any, you know, kids or grandkids that are really helping him. Bless you, Mark. I love you, buddy. Uh, you know, I've known you for a long time now. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I got a new uh, coffee cup. You got a new Real Talk coffee <laughs> mug. Well, I want you every time you sip coffee out of that thing to I remember will. that there's an entire audience of people here uh, that you made a big impact on, and uh, and that ripple effect is is undeniable. Justin just says, "What a great show." He says, "Mark is such an inspiration." Real talkers, if you love this show, there's a few things you can do. Number one, you can support Mark, and and for that matter, support Harvest Hills Cares down in Calgary as well. Um, you can also hit like and uh, subscribe to our YouTube and all those things that helps this episode grow. You can share our content. Uh, it's easy to share the podcast as well. You know, most people will hear this on the podcast and yeah. I want to make sure that this story gets out as much as possible and we'll yeah. be pushing this too. Okay. Well, I really appreciate being here. It's You're a such a legend, studio. Mark. Oh, it's just, I'm still, you know, one day my knees will give out and then hopefully someone up is coming up the system that's had that experience that I had experienced in a group home way back in 1990. We'll, we'll, we'll take it over. Buddy, there's a chance that you've planted seeds today uh, that will, you know, sprout and bloom maybe years down the line, right? Yeah. You talk yeah. about your parents, yeah. Uh, yeah. the example that, you're, you know, your dad yeah. is, a, is an educator and yeah. your mom and dad bringing yeah. in foster kids yeah. and, and the impact that made on you as a 10, 11, yeah. 12-year-old. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Do you want your son to go into the field or would, would you be nervous about it? Um, no, I wouldn't. Um, I think he's a numbers guy. <laughs> so maybe he could be the guy that comes in and drops 10 grand every once in a while. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a numbers guy. Um, so, uh, but yeah, anything. And my other two boys, um, you know, they're going through school and they're, they're enjoying their life. And, uh, my one son, he's got both my older boys have dual citizenship, Australian Canadian. So really they, they go back and forth. Well, that's and, cool. Uh, I would too. I think my, yeah, my middle boy wants to join the Australian Navy. I say, yeah, nothing like going to the South China sea and that hot spot. Right. So yeah. yeah but, Jeez. Yeah, but, Helping. Put okay. it there, man. And, and thanks, Johnny, for yeah. Isn't he a beauty? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Johnny's just hanging out there, making sure that the <laughs> the show functions, making sure the show operates. Yeah, okay. we'd be screwed without him. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> okay. That's take care. human rights advocate Mark Charrington. What an absolute beauty. This conversation uh, happens because of the support of Real Talk sponsors like our friends at Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. This is the time of year uh, uh, where basically you're going to want to get in touch with them because you want to get the design process going, right? And a lot of people as well, when they're putting their dream yard together... Uh, the number one thing that you want to consider is that if you're bringing in unique elements, uh, unique materials based on the supply chain, sometimes it can take weeks or even months to get here. So the sooner that happens, the better, right? If you want to have shovels in ground in spring, you're going to want to start the design process now with Eden Landscaping, whether it's it's a big backyard overhaul, uh, maybe it's just some practical stuff, excavation, retaining walls. Maybe you're finally going to go ahead and get that dream outdoor kitchen with a pizza oven so you can entertain on, I don't know, your 40th birthday or your uh, parents' 50th anniversary or someone's retirement, whatever it is. If you can dream it up, Eden Landscaping can make it happen. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And if what Mark's 
talking about has inspired you, maybe toward a, a career in social services or, or, or maybe psychology, I don't know, law enforcement, politics, whatever it is, the humanities, there's a fit for you guaranteed at Athabasca University. That's Canada's open university. You can find it online at AthabascaU.ca. It's simple to navigate their website and find out more about how AU works. Athabasca University gives you control over your life. Thanks to flexibility and openness, you can get details on their website. Again, that's AthabascaU.ca. And before we get to official celebrations of what's happening in Jasper right now, you know, we do that every Wednesday. First, I wanted to tell you about what the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge has going. They've got so much respect for first responders. They know that you deserve a break more than anybody. I mean, with the wildfire season right now, everything that's going on to express their gratitude and to encourage first responders to take that well-deserved break, the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge is offering a special room rate exclusively for first responders this fall and winter. You can book before October 31st, so you got to book. You got about a week or so to book uh, for stays between right now and April of 2024. So you, you can stay over the next six months, but you got to book before Halloween. Rates start at $199 a night, which is fantastic for the Fairmont, plus 20% off dining, 25% off spa services. Oh man, a day in the spa there. Whew. And 20% off sun dog tour experiences, including transportation to Jasper and wildlife tours as well. You can give them a call directly at the Fairmont JPL. Ask them about the first responders appreciation rate or check out the link in the show notes for this episode. I want to thank everybody that, uh, took the time to check out today's episode but but also for those of you that that were contributing uh, your thoughts in the chat and Johnny I love reminders like this of who our audience is now, we often refer to this audience as like the movers and the shakers you know sure. the people that make things happen but mm -hmm. to see the expressions of empathy um, and, and to hear from people as well uh, you know off the top of my head I remember people here saying that you know they've worked in social services or their partners have they've worked as first responders they've worked as nurses there's there's a lot of people that'll approach a conversation like this through their experienced eyes right through what they have seen yeah um, and that sort of deepens our understanding of issues when we have audience members sharing their thoughts and we just want to recognize that i always get so choked up too i, I didn't say much during the interview because i was just in awe of some of these stories especially the one about the young girl who we saw later who Nicole. Had, who had come out of that because there are a lot of people who you try to help so much and my mother you know was a health nurse for 40 years she worked at a college, and now a university, Durham College in Ontario, where same thing, you know, people would come in with sexual health issues and mental health issues and, and abuse going on at home. And she's not a psychiatrist, but she would try to do the most she could. And, you know, th th that was an amazing story. But there's so many other stories where you do the most you can and people still don't get what they need. So it's amazing to see on the chat, everyone. Like Mark was saying, if you can give $5 a month, to Mark or another institution that is working to give people just enough food to put on the table, shoes so they can get out of the house to maybe walk to somewhere to hand in a resume to get a job. I mean, 
it, it can really mean the world to people, right? Yeah, and you think of all these, and we always try to take numbers and put faces to numbers, right? And and Mark is able to do that. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, we we hear this the tragedy of Tanya mm-hmm. and her passing. Uh, we hear the victory of Nicole uh, through adversity and all these. And but but I think of like a six year old kid that has freezing cold feet through the winter uh, because they don't have the boots that they need. Yeah. But then I think of a ninety year old senior uh, that's you know we've we've heard stories and. and Again, I know we're, we're sort of you know doing double duty. We're talking about Mark's work, and then we're talking about the Harvest Hills work uh, down in Calgary. They shared a story earlier this week. Um, they had heard of older folks, um, and also this is the story of many parents as well, doing everything they can for their kids. You know, trying to crumble up soup mixes and mm-hmm. stretch them using the bouillon cubes, yeah. adding more and more water, trying to get more soup out of each box well, so you think that they can you... feed their kids. Yeah. I mean, the, the the sort of perilous nature of survival for so many people. Look, he was he was talking about that one person who'd been in an accident or whether whatever and giving them 200 bucks a month. But think about that. Like most of us know, like I know me and my partner, we spend about 100, 150 a week. So how would you make 200 groceries on groceries? And that's not even that much. I mean, like to make 200 dollars stretch for for a grown man or woman, it's still hard. And then you got to think like that's just for food. How are they, you know? paying their rent or paying their bills. So, I mean, the subscription-based donation that Mark was talking about is the way you want to go. If you, you know, five bucks comes out of your your account, you're not even going to notice it every month. And that can really mean the difference for someone. Very well said, Johnny. Um, I want to thank everybody uh, in advance for supporting uh, these groups as best you can. And, and just a big shout out to, to Jennifer, the founder of Harvest Hills Cares Calgary, and obviously to our guest in studio today, Mark Charrington. Mark and I were talking a couple of days ago about this interview, and, and you know we were sort of going like, what do you want to talk about? I said, honestly, buddy, we're going to crack the mic. We're, we're going to go live, and we're just going to start talking. Yeah. I said, I don't need – I've interviewed Mark enough over the years to know that we don't need a plan. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, – this guy just lives what he, he – like we say, he walks the walk. So and- I was enthralled from the very – like as soon as he started talking, I was like, man. And, and you know, like he's not – He's not making a living off this. No. He's doing this out of the kindness of his heart. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. We got to make sure we we got to interview his wife and his son one day. If yeah, for like talk yeah. about talk about the flip side of that. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? There there are other marks out there too. Like, that's not a slight to Mark Charrington. Obviously, I know that there are people out there every single day. You're doing little things in your community. You're dropping off a lasagna on somebody's doorstep. You're shoveling somebody's walk uh, when you know they can't. You know, you're clearing the ice off somebody's windshield or you're providing safe harbor to somebody or you're, you get the point. Tell us about those people. Tell us about those people. Yeah. It's it, it sort of, I guess, in a way, is a, is a call to action on positive reflections presented by Kubi Energy every single Monday here on the show as well. The stories of the difference makers in communities of people that are doing things to better the lives of those around them. Every Wednesday, we fill our cups uh, by heading out to the mountains, uh, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper. It's my Jasper memories. And you know right now, because we've been talking about it all through this month, uh, that the Jasper Dark Sky Festival is underway. And this weekend coming up, your last chance uh, to take in the festivities that lie in wait in the world's most magnificent dark 
Sky Reserve. Uh, now, coming up this Saturday, that's October 28th from 7 p.m. until late at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge Ballroom. You have an opportunity to finish the festival with a night of side-splitting fun. This is the first ever Jasper Dark Sky Festival Spaceball. <laughs> so pack away the telescopes, unbutton your lab coats, and put on your best sci-fi inspired costume. Spaceball? I love this, man. And, and what a great name for it. The festival, the night, uh, the wrap-up, essentially kicking off with appetizers and drinks at the reception and then local professional actors are going to hit the stage with some thematic improv and then you're going to get yourself a big bucket of popcorn and they're going to tee up the classic comedy space balls on the big screen with a few interactive twists so they've got a few things up their sleeves and then finally a midnight lunch you can dance the night away there's going to be free face painting everybody's going to walk out of there looking like John Candy's character I love that <laughs> John Candy what an all time great uh, community canvas painting to add some creative flair to the festivities it's going to be so much fun DJ Luke Lucy DeFerst is going to be there Cirque Aurora is there uh, they are just magnificent performers in their own right there's public transportation available for the event uh uh, you can find out all the details at jasperdarksky.travel. Tickets are 40 bucks. It is an 18 and over event. Uh, and again, the first of its kind. You can be the first ever attendees at the Jasper Dark Sky Festival Space Ball and make your own My Jasper Memories presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. Coming up on tomorrow's episode of Real Talk, we're going to check in with one of the greatest NHL goaltenders of all time, Ken Dryden, a former member of Parliament as well and an accomplished lawyer, is going to be joining us out of the gates to talk about his new book, The Class. And then Barney Bentall is going to be hanging out with us on Thursday's Real Talk ahead of his show Saturday at Festival Place in support of CASA Mental Health. Uh, Barney Bentall and the Caribou Express, their show Saturday night at Festival Place. We'd love to see you there. In the meantime, thanks for being a part of Keeping It Real each and every single day. We love you guys, and we mean it. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.